in this series, Life in the Sweet Spot, Ben was preaching about the heart and living from our heart. You hear that message about living from the heart quite a lot uh, around here. We talk a lot about it. We practice it. We mean it. It's definitely the way to go if you want to live life in the sweetheart, in the sweet spot with a sweetheart. Live from that. Live from your heart. What's my heart saying? For what is my heart aching and longing? How is it compelling me and moving me and leading me? But when we talk about living from the heart in the context of living life in the sweet spot, there's a possible misunderstanding that needs to be addressed. It's something of which the church has been regularly accused, and it's been a valid accusation far too often. The charge of being, uh, we could say, all heart, no arteries. Uh, the, the idea that the Christian faith is all about emotion and feeling, but in order to live from the heart or experience emotion or, or to, to embrace those feelings, the, the challenge has been, the accusation has been that there's no brain, no intellect, all heart, no arteries, that there's really no place for thinking. At least there's only second place for thinking. You've heard the phrase, oh, when you become a Christian, check your when you come to church, check your brain in at the door. It's cliche, but people think that. And I, I think we need to be honest and own it. We have often supported their misunderstanding of the faith by actually practicing at various levels what folks assume about faith. When we here encourage life from the heart, when we here are talking about that kind of thing, when we're talking about life in the sweet spot, we mean something very different than the idea of feel your way through life and don't think. We're not talking about a heart that trumps the brain. We're talking about a heart that works in harmony with the brain. You know, Jesus said that good works and actions arise from a good heart. Everything comes out of the heart. When you're sour, because you have a sour heart. Acting properly and caring and, and, and acting uh, in ways that support justice and, and address oppression, that's because your heart is there. But a good heart doesn't work independent of the brain. Good hearts arise out of good thinking. Thinking has always been a cent central theme in Christianity and it ought not quit being a central theme. A thriving heart depends upon a thriving mind. And we thrive when our hearts are being shaped by the good thinking of a sound mind. That would be my thesis statement. We thrive when we're thinking well, thinking good thoughts, intellectually astute, growing mentally and intellectually. And when that context is informing this powerful heart, this passion and the passions we have and, and the way we aim the arrow in life, that's when we thrive. Our hearts contribute to us finding life's bullseye only when a well-developed intellect and a growing intellect is informing them. Do you, do, you, do you get that? To live by the heart without 
allowing the brain to engage the heart is really little more than recklessness baptized. It's, it's recklessness in the name of Jesus, recklessness in the name of the Holy Spirit. And I'll quote my old Greek professor that I've often, can somebody get me a little glass of water? Greg, can you get me a glass of water? <coughs> Dr. Kaufman from seminary, he said, oh, Holy Spirit, what sins have been committed in thy name? We're reckless, living only by our feelings. Feelings are great. I'm a feeling guy. Passion is powerful. But it's only trustworthy when a, when a well-oiled, clear-thinking heart is in, or mind is informing it. Because the heart that leads us according to bad programming takes us to anywhere but the sweet spot in life. Does that make sense? The heart and the mind. Perhaps that's why God is so clear to speak about intellect, about mind, about thinking, all through Scripture. You don't have to even hunt very hard to find things. He's real clear about what the mind is, for instance. Now, all I plan to do in these next few minutes is argue the point I've just made, give you some text to look at, some understanding of the range of meaning for some of these words that relate to this, but my thesis statement is still true. We thrive when our hearts and our minds are working together. And Christianity, contrary to what people criticize Christians for, it's an absolutely thoroughly crazy thinking religion, as well as a heart level religion. Some of the greatest minds in history, bar none, have been followers of Jesus and motivated to think well because they were followers of Jesus. We're slipping, messing it up, and misrepresented our faith, misrepresenting this faith and the Lord of it when we as Christians are not careful to exercise our minds, to be reading things that are over our heads, to be thinking. I think one of the worst things that's happened in the school system, you can talk about all the moral issues and different things that are, you might have a difference of opinion with, if I could change one thing about our school system, well, first I'd change it so that we're reemphasizing the arts. But second thing I'd do was require Aristotelian logic in every stinking school. Logic. This true, and if this is true, then this is true. Thinking clearly. But that's one of my rants. I'm not superintendent of schools and don't plan on, you don't want me to be really. God is really clear about what the mind is, so he challenges us to develop it, but not without giving us some sense of what he means by the term. Here are some examples. In 2 Samuel, let's look at the, the range of meaning to get some understanding of what he means by the mind. For instance, in 2 Samuel uh, 7 and 2 Kings 9, I put these on the slide just in case you want to write them down and go look at them later. I, I would hope that you would do that. The reference to the mind it seems to be uh, speaking of your intentions and your plans, the things you're thinking. Proverbs 22, it introduces the idea of applying your mind to knowledge. So acquiring knowledge, that's the mind. Colossians 3, the idea of directing your mind, directing your thinking, directing your mental focus. Just to give you some idea of what God is talking about, 
in Scripture when there's a reference to the mind. Now, those are only three examples. But this idea of what's going on up here, that's how he's defining the mind. Uh, ben talked about what is meant biblically by the heart. Jeff talked about what is biblically uh, referenced when there's a reference to the soul. But the mind is an equal player. It's not a has-been or an also-ran in Christian faith. Got to be thinking good thoughts. Intellectually astute. Perhaps that's why God is so clear about the mind. It's so important. Perhaps that's also why God values reflection. If you were to do a word search in Scripture for the word consider, because there's a great challenge and often challenge in Scripture, consider this. Think about this. In 2 Samuel 19, it seems to be conveying the idea of, when he says consider, thoughtfully come to a conclusion, come to a thoughtful, reasoned conclusion. In 2 Chronicles 19, thoughtfully and carefully reflect upon. Psalms, this idea of uh, Psalm 119, rolling something over in your mind. Reflection, consider, stop and think. Ecclesiastes 2, I like this one. It's connect, this idea of thinking is connected to the idea of gaining wisdom. So you have a mind that seeks out knowledge, builds a shelf full of knowledge, but not just knowledge, not just the acquisition of information. Ecclesiastes is talking about wisdom, the, apply, the applying of information, the applying application of knowledge. Perhaps that's why God values reflection, because the heart so desperately needs to be informed by clear thinking. Perhaps that's also why God invites us to reason together with him. Don't you love that? Come, let's sit down and discuss this, argue this, reason together. Now the context there in uh, Isaiah uh, 1 is, I'll read, in fact, I'll read that. But the context is Israel not doing so, this is vision, and the vision is of Israel breaking all the rules and not doing very well together. And God is challenging Israel, hey, knock that off. Now stop living like that, and instead, let's sit down and reason together. But reason is a great word for the mind, that God expects us to be able to reason with him, to rehearse theology with him, to say, now did you say this, and what about that? And then he says, if we'll do that, we'll reason together, we'll have a back and forth, a conversation, an argument in the positive sense of the word, and then I'll make things right with you. Listen to this. So this is jumping into the middle of that whole challenge. And first he assaults Israel with the way they're living, and he's bothered by the difference between what they officially say they believe and what he sees them living out. And when he sees that, and he's bothered by it, he said, Let, we have to talk. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening because your hands are full of blood. Wash your hands. Make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. We want to say, Lord, could you be more simple, please? My mind can't keep up with that complex thought. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. 
Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. By the way, those are essential pieces of the Christian faith. Come now, he says, let us reason together or let us settle the matter, the New International Version says. Let's reason together. Let's get this straightened out. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. He invites us to reason together. So God expects Christians, followers of God, to be intellectually developed enough. This is, a, this is hyperbole because we'll never be there. But he, to be intellectually astute enough to be able to sit down and reason with God. Because thinking is so important. I thought it would be fun to look into some of the ways in the New Testament this is translated. We use the same word, the same word reasoning. In Luke 14, that word occurs, to think logically about something. In 2 Corinthians 10, to reflect logically on something. A logical heart-driven, mind-informed reflection, contemplation on things. And God says, sit still for a little while and let my Holy Spirit have a conversation with you where your mind is engaged and we're thinking clear thoughts. Think about this. Reflect on this. Stop being so busy that you never take time time to think deep thoughts. Sitting down and doing what appears to be nothing and not apparently not being productive is actually a very productive thing. Challenged to do that by God, are we? Sit and think and listen and respond. And listen and respond. Reason with me. The mind is so important. We thrive when our minds are sound. And those sound minds are informing our hearts. Thinking is important. Last point on this, perhaps that's why God cautions us against allowing our hearts to be formed by our compulsions instead of our intelligence. God cautions us. I think Ben and Jeff both in their messages referred to that challenge of that caution in Scripture, guard your hearts. Be very careful about what you allow to inform your heart. Protect that heart. Build a wall around it so that what comes into it can be measured. And then open the gate so that it can go out and touch people's lives. But thinking is so important. And the heart and the connection between the heart and the mind are so important that God cautions us against allowing anything but our minds to inform the passions of our hearts. In Philippians 3, you have that reference to people who are not doing so well. This is the antithesis of what followers of Christ are to be. And they're referred to as people whose God is their appetite. 
In other words, their cravings drive their values. Their cravings drive their hearts instead of sound, reasoned thinking. I've got to have a confession right here. I, I'm like an alcoholic with food. My weight's back and forth, 40 pounds, and food's food. But the thing that bothers me about this is I find myself unable to say no to something that actually dominates my heart. And there are times I'll come home. I don't know why. I don't know how I got there. I just know that when I was a kid in this Italian family, I won all of the eating contests against my cousins, and my dad was proud of me for it. (laughs) So it's your fault, you know. (laughs) And I used to get affirmed by my aunts. I told you before, I had this, especially this one aunt whose arms did the (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and when you went to her house and she hugged you, it was not a good thing. It was not fun. Her lips would turn up like this to kiss you, and then she'd kind of just suck you in there. And you, <laughs> Can we just shake hands? I, oh, sometimes I wish I was Swedish, you know. <laughs> but she would sit us down and give us 10 courses of food that started with a big plate of pasta. And she would say, oh, he's such a good eater, this tiger. And if you only had two plates of pasta because you learned that pasta was not the main course, it was the prevenient course. There's more coming. And you slowed down the pasta so you could eat the other stuff. She would, every time, what's wrong? Are you not like What's wrong with you? So I have this thing about food, and, and my thinking about food, I've noticed this. I want to eat. I'll have a craving. And I'll say to myself, ah, but you're not hungry. Don't eat. And then all of a sudden, it's like my eyes roll back in my head. My reason mind gets shut off, and I am like a missile with a tracking system for the pantry. I've even gone so far as to beg Brenda, please just don't buy chips and have them in the house. Just have carrots or something. Just don't have them in the house. Yes, but we live with other people, and they want some other things. But if I were an alcoholic, you wouldn't have bourbon in the closet, in the cup. Please, just don't buy the chips, don't buy this stuff. But she's, she's working on it. Now, I give you that illustration. She's working on it harder than I am, apparently. But here's why I give you that illustration. God's warning is, hey, whether it's culture or your idiosyncrasies, your compulsions, your addictions, don't let those things form your heart because then your heart's not going to lead you to the bullseye when you live by the heart. It's not going to lead you to the best life. It's going to lead you places you don't need to go and don't want to go. And the answer is to let reasoned thinking and theologically careful thinking form the heart. The heart and the mind work in harmony. And he refers to these people whose God is their appetites. Their appetites drive them not their clear thinking minds. And in Psalm 37, delight yourself in the Lord. And then he's going to give you the desires of your heart. Do you see that connection again? Just stated different words. You delight yourself in the Lord. The Lord, I'm on trajectory toward Jesus. My clear thinking about Jesus is where I'm going. That's my delight. And Jesus then in return forms the desires of our hearts. For us. The heart is informed by sound thinking. 
And then sound thinking is served by the passions of the heart. It's this beautiful dance. And I don't know which one comes first, the chicken or the egg, the sound thinking or the well-formed heart. But I do know that a good heart and a sound mind depend upon each other to lead us to the sweet spot in life. When they're working well, we thrive. This quote by Pascal, one of the great Christian thinkers, goes like this. The heart has reasons of which uh, reason itself does not know. The heart has reasons of which reason doesn't know. In other words, there are, there's more to faith and this issue of the heart than logic. And then the reality of logic itself. Things can be real and legitimate, though, even when they can't be logically proven. The heart has reasons of which reason doesn't know. However, that doesn't mean that all we need is heart. That's the misunderstanding. We want to make sure we don't accidentally communicate. All you need is heart. Well, you, you need a well-formed heart. We need a well-formed heart. And that well-formed heart is formed well by clear thinking. They work in harmony with each other. We have examples in history of what happens when we choose one at the expense of the other. The mind without the heart in Christian context is called Gnosticism. The devaluing, you read that, go, go look it up, go, just Gnosticism, read about it. The devaluing of the physical and the, and the emotional, the overemphasis of the intellectual, but it's without the heart. But the heart without the mind leads to antinomianism, lawlessness, a moral anarchy. The moral anarchy is Judges 17 where it says, each person did that which was right in their own eyes. That's the heart, the well-intentioned but poorly informed heart that left the mind behind. Remember that text in Romans chapter 12? Again, another way of it saying there's a connection between the heart and the mind. You must have a sound mind to thrive. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's a heart and mind together uh, action. Holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world but be transformed, your heart transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. There's a, one of my favorite singer-songwriters has this song about the heart. And here's part of the lyric. The thing about hearts is they just do what they feel. And they can't tell the difference between life and what kills. Another part of the lyric, between the lie and what's real. They just can't do it. Hearts in and of themselves. Hearts can't tell that difference alone any more than a spoon can feed a baby by itself. The spoon needs the strength of the hand 
and the discipline of the arm to raise the nourishment to the baby's mouth, and then babies thrive. Hearts depend upon a clear and developed mind for that. A good mind needs a good heart, but the opposite is also true. A good heart needs a good partner in a clear and sound mind. Live without that partnership, we shrivel up. But we thrive when we think well, when our brains are active, when our minds are sound. Listen now, faith is not the result of the practice of denying logic and reason. Faith is not the active practice of arguing with science and faith partners with what we're learning, with what reason tells it must be true. Author David Weber said this. He said, God didn't give us minds just so we could refuse to use them. I wished I could have found a picture of a mind, a brain in a garbage can. Because too many of us too often who are loudest about our commitment to Christ seem to be throwing them there. I think the old United Negro College Fund ad had it right. Remember that? A mind is what? It's a terrible thing to waste. And can you imagine the level of grieving on the part of the one who created the mind, embedded it in his followers, taught them to think and reason and consider and said, oh, you don't have to be afraid of the discovery of something. Truth will stand on its own. Truth doesn't need to be protected by you. Think, engage, reason. Go way over your head and engage in things you don't understand and don't know how you ever will. How much pain do we cause him? When we live as though the challenge, the critique, you have to trade your brain in at the door when you go to church, when you're a Christian. How strong is the level of grieving by the God who is stinking brilliant, beyond brilliant? The word brilliant dumbs down the, God, the mind of God just by trying to describe it. Describe it as not capturable. It's not attainable. Shouldn't the church be moving in that direction? We thrive when we are of sound mind, intellectually growing. And that sound mind is informing our hearts. Now, we've been finishing each week with a question of the week. And uh, I want to ask you that question. Here's the question of the week. What are you doing to develop your intellect? What are you taking on that demands more brain power than you currently possess? What are you reading that you don't understand? What are you reading that you have to read so slowly and over and over again that your mind has to climb to the higher shelf because everything's not on the lowest shelf, we can already grab it. This is like lifting weights. 
something I obviously do. <laughs> it's mental weightlifting. You don't just stay with the same weight on the bar and expect to progress. You have to put more weight on the bar than you can lift to the point where you sometimes have to have what's called spotters standing on either side and you get that thing part of the way up. Okay, I need help, help. And the spotters kind of grab it and help you get finish that, that rep. Brought some things to suggest. Uh, these are things off of my shelf. I've already read these, but I go back to them. Uh, Renovation of the Heart by Dallas Willard. Anything by Dallas Willard is gonna help you grow intellectually. Anything by Henri Nouwen, anything by Nouwen. It's easily read, not easily understood. You can't stop thinking about this. This is like that tune that you hear in the morning and you find yourself whistling all day long on right now. And this one's my favorite, The Selfless Way of Christ. Anything by now and is gonna be helpful in develop, developing your mind, but also, especially now and in Willard, the, the connection between mind and heart. Uh, one of my favorite authors, I've mentioned it before, is Daniel Taylor. Of course, the, my favorite book by Daniel Taylor is The Myth of Certainty, written 30 plus years ago, but he has a follow-up to it the skeptical believer. This has got two-page chapters. So this is by my bed. And the skeptical believer, so he's being honest about, that doesn't make sense, but I'm supposed to believe that, and I have a doubt. In this book, this is where we get the idea of if you don't have doubts, then whatever you do have is not faith, because faith requires doubt by definition. You doubt something and still believe it. So the skeptic, anything by by Taylor. And then some more classic reading that's not easily understood. For instance, the Confessions of Augustine, uh, Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis, that genre of reading. The point is, are you doing anything to exercise your brains? It's not just from reading. Make friends with people who are smarter than you. For some of us, that's the only option we have. So, so, so it's e easier for some of us than for others. But who in your circle of friends thinks so well that they drop your jaw a little bit and you can't contend with them intellectually? Do you love them? Do you learn from them? Will you allow yourself to be baffled by them? It might. Oh, I thought I was 15 minutes over. I'm 15 minutes early, right? I still have 15 minutes to go, but I'm not going to use them. Yay, Art! We thrive when we think. We thrive, we thrive when we're not afraid to think. We thrive when we're not afraid of people who think. We thrive and live life in the sweet spot when we recognize and surrender to the fact that the church and our faith doesn't have to be threatened by people who think. And there are people intellectually where I feel like, man, I can't, if I'm in a race with them, I can't win the race. But it's a worthy goal to get to the point where I can at least swim with them. I wanna learn. My mind is hungry to be a better informant to my heart. And then I can trust living from my heart. That's the message today. Okay, got it? Let's pray.
the question of the week. What are you doing to exercise your mind? To take it to the tipping point. Take a second to be quiet and reflect on that. Maybe some are going to have to do some confessing. I did not know, Lord, that I was so free to think. I thought that was not faithful. Let him speak to you now in silence. Some might be saying, I'm, I didn't even know that it was uh, safe and a good thing for an evangelical to read Thomas Aquinas. You can confess that as a bad thought too. Maybe the prayer that says, Lord, I have to admit to you, I don't feel like I'm secure enough to sit down with people who are intellectually powerful and have a reasonable conversation with them. I'm afraid I'll fail you because I won't be able to defend whatever they challenge me on. Equip me, Lord. Set me free from that hesitation. Finally, some might need to come from the other side of that prayer. I find myself depending on my intellect at the expense of my heart. I find it difficult to be humble intellectually. I consider myself so far above because of the way I can think. Forgive me for that arrogance, that intellectual arrogance, Lord. I thought faithfulness meant being able to blow somebody away theologically. Forgive me, Lord. Would you stand to be dismissed with this blessing? This is what we're about, to engage with the spiritually hungry toward a life in Christ that's inspired, there's heart, intelligent, there's the head, and involved, there's the hands. Heart, head, hands. Inspired, intelligent, and involved. Don't lose, don't lose track of that. We thrive when we're of sound mind. And then when that sound mind is informing a pure and tender heart and then live from our hearts. We've always meant that when we said that. And now may the Lord bless you with his unspeakable, immeasurable love and understanding. When you prayed today, whatever you prayed, May you always see him as I think he was.
listening and saying, okay, I love hearing that from you. We'll go there together. May that be your view of Christ. We'll go there together. I'll walk with you. I'll teach you. Live that out. You're the church. You're loved. Now go in love intelligently in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.